This week, we look at the robot revolution film, Westworld. And along the way, we wonder, why do robot hands in the future look so weird? What will amusement parks look like in the future? And how different is this movie from the HBO series? Let's indulge some murderous cowboy fantasies on Fort Spread Sci-Fi. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Force Fed Sci-Fi yet again. This lovely, lush voice that's speaking to you is the cowboy gunslinging Sean Michael Culp. And along is my co-host, the... Chris Rupp. The Chris Rupp. <laughs> the horse-riding Chris Rupp. Well, sidekick, maybe? I, I don't know. <laughs> Plucky yet lovable sidekick. <laughs> I suppose on this that one. That sounds more like an 80s sitcom than a, <laughs> than a podcast discussing science fiction films. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. We're the Plucky 80s sci-fi podcast. Sure. But sure. as Sean mentioned at the top of the show, we are discussing the 1973, um, I guess, so-so classic? Yeah. Westworld? Yeah. I think- it it should be a classic. Maybe, I don't know. It's been a long time since it's come out, so you'd think it would be on lists. So, yeah, let, you know what? Let's call it a classic. Yeah, I was surprised when this came up in the list. I was glad it came up in the list because this was something that's been on my own personal want-to-watch list for a long time mm -hmm. and just never got around to it. I mean, the, the show came out a, a few years ago, and I kind of got mm -hmm. engrossed in that, and had no concept of the television show. I thought it was going to be more of like a continuation and then it was doing its own thing. Yeah. I did not even uh, hear about this film until the show. Like I've heard of the show just like you. I always wanted to watch it. But when you brought this up last week, I'm like, oh, cool. So that did stem everything. You'd think this would be like a book or something, right? Yeah. Well, it was yeah. a Michael Crichton joint. So yeah. I mean, it could have been a book. It could have been. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with the film Westworld. Shall we provide a quick plot synopsis? Synopsis, Chris Rupp, the synopsis man. Yes. <laughs> Give it to him. So, at an amusement park containing three separate worlds, medieval world, Roman world, and Westworld, visitors pay $1,000 a day to live out their fantasies, no matter how cruel or mundane they are on the android population designed to show the guests a good time. However, when the androids begin to show signs of aberrant behavior, the results turn deadly as the robots begin to shake off their programming and start to attack the human guests, leaving one man pitted against a seemingly unstoppable killing machine. I like how you say shake off their programming. Well, in a lot of ways like, they do. <laughs> like they're shaking off a defender. <laughs> like that's guarding them. That's that's pretty. No, that's good words. Yeah. I don't, a good I, description. What Chris. else would you call it, though? No, I love it. It's great. It's just I never would have envisioned that. The robots are just shaking off their program. Good job. Well, the the scientists in the film good. describe it as a virus. Yeah. But I, I don't think it's, I mean, yeah, it starts off like that where almost like Inception, where an idea takes hold of them and then it Slowly. gets fully formed, but mm -hmm. it doesn't happen overnight. And then at some point they just, you know, they get rid of the confines of their programming and they start. Yeah. They work they just, Now, of course, they start killing everybody because it's a robot movie. Absolutely. This was before the Terminator, too. Yeah. Before Skynet. So, yeah. Well, this was after 2001, right? Space yeah. Space Odyssey. So that could be the first. And that inspired sci-fi films of the future. So, yeah. At the time in Hollywood, there was sort of a science fiction 
uh, revolution that was going on. And yeah. I, and I think this film does get overlooked because oh, yeah. I'd say so. partly because of of the cast, with the exception of Yul Brenner. Ooh, killing machine. Well, that's what he becomes, and I feel like mm-hmm. that's what the gunslinger is in he is. in the film without without a villain. Yeah. He's he's programmed to kind of be this um this interaction the guests are supposed to have to kind of test their metal mm-hmm. in this world here. Oh yeah. Cuz they kill him twice. <laughs> that was his narrative. Yeah. I thought to myself though watching it, wow, that has to be a sucky narrative for you. Like if you're the robot. Well, you he's know? a robot. He's not exactly aware of what's right. happening at all. I think every day is almost like this the new same. day for him. It it resets after he's killed and he has no memory. He has no memory of it. Every day is brand new to him. Yeah. So the, uh, let's discuss quickly the cast and crew yeah. of this film because there's not a ton. No. So the gunslinger is played by Yul Brenner, the legendary Yul Brenner, the man with the bald head. Yeah. Inspired haircuts for decades. So here's the thing with Yul Brenner. Obviously, he's very well known for the Western classic, The Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, in 1956, he starred in three legendary films. He starred in The King and I, which he would go on to win an Academy Award for and perform the same role on Broadway over 4,500 times. Just nuts. And win two Tony Awards. Dude, talk about the easiest paycheck ever. <laughs> he didn't even have to know his lines. Because he knew them. He yeah. did it over 4,000 times. Well, there's also the choreography, too. Because, yeah. I mean, it's a musical. That's true. In that same year, he starred in The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. He's uh, Ramsey's in that, yeah. right? Pretty sure still plays every Easter Sunday on one of the main television networks. Yeah. And also starred in uh, Anastasia, which was another, I believe, an Oscar-nominated film at the time. I don't think I've seen Anastasia. I have not either, but these were three huge films at the time. I would argue that Yul Brenner had as good a year in 1956 as any actor in the history of Hollywood has ever had. It definitely sparked his career and made him like a household name. But his performance in Westworld would uh, wind up being... One of his last film performances, uh, he stopped uh, acting in 1976 and later passed away of lung cancer in 1985. Okay. He was uh, relatively young when he passed, I think in his uh, mid-60s when he passed away. And he w- he's still a great actor. Like the One of the main reasons anybody watches The Magnificent Seven is because of Yul Brenner. Oh, yeah, and The King and I. Of he's course. Just, he's phenomenal. Well, also starring in Westworld, we have uh, Richard Benjamin as Peter Martin. Um, didn't see too many big-time acting credits to his name, a few no. directing credits. I think he's more well-known as a director yeah. post-Westworld than he was. I mean, yeah, his hey, he was okay in the film. He, he, he definitely is on my list of people to make fun of when they run. <laughs> like Him and Steven Seagal, man, when I was watching this, I would go, wow, there's always one. Well, compared to Yul Brenner's lumbering <laughs> walk after him. I know. <laughs> it's just what? Uh, that, that was so great, though, that chase scene, man, because he just, Brenner's just walking so stoically, and then you just see this guy, Richard Benjamin, just, like, what, what would you, prancing? Prancing away with his mustache? Skipping? Yeah, with his Coach Q mustache just float. It was just like, I almost just saw a mustache just floating away. That's how I viewed it. Well, starring alongside Richard Benjamin, we have uh, 
the father of Thanos, we have James Brolin as John Blaine. Yes. Who uh, le- a legendary television actor. I was surprised to learn that. James Brolin. Yeah, and like we said, father of Thanos slash yeah. Josh Brolin. He uh I he looked like oddly similar to Christian Bale when I was watching this. I, I really saw it. I was like, wow, this guy looks I was like gonna Christian say Jeff Bale. Bridges. Jeff Brid- Jeff Bridges. Like too. Jeff Bridges in the nineteen seventies and James Brolin in the nineteen seventies side by side almost look exactly alike. It's uncanny. It's pretty, yeah, you could swap them out. <laughs> like if you took a still from Westworld and you took a still from Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, I wouldn't be able to tell those two apart. <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, that's uh, with with the exception of those three actors. I mean, there's not a ton of like top-notch, like, oh my gosh, legendary cast. No, it's really those two guys. Even the director wasn't well-known until after. Well, this film was written and directed by Michael Crichton, mm-hmm. um, the legendary science fiction writer. Yeah. This was actually his first major motion picture. He directed a television movie in the previous year. Yeah, he was he was kind of a hot commodity because Steven Spielberg kind of went down this same route here where did a television film and then he was given um, the chance to direct Jaws. So The keys to the kingdom. Yeah, man. a lot of parallels between uh, Michael Crichton and Steven Spielberg's film career. But I was actually surprised to learn that this uh, was made on a budget of $1.2 million. Which is pretty decent, I would think, for the 70s. Yeah, so it's about $7 million in 2019 money. Yeah. So it's not huge, and it's for the time, it may have been much bigger. Yeah, because, I mean, it was just films were made much cheaper back in the day. But it doesn't, it didn't feel to me like a cheap film. No, they didn't use anything cheap no. to get away with anything it didn't seem like they skimped on any aspect of the film which is much appreciated no it didn't seem like one of those cheesy 60s tv series like land of giants yeah (laughs) (laughs) no this this was you know i think it um holds up very well well this was this was almost a novel because Crichton was still was well known at the time as an author oh okay but he felt this story served a more visual format so he well, thank God he did it because I thought I think it's great. Didn't he? But didn't he go to Harvard? Because I think that's he what I read on. He obtained his MD in 1969. So literally four years after getting his MD, he just makes Westworld. Well, his his science fiction writings are more <laughs> warnings for technology. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly speaking, Jurassic Park, which which we've covered on a previous episode it all it all it, goes wrong and isn't it kind of interesting you see the parallels 20 years later he just does jurassic park it's like now that i know he's done this i'm not gonna say that he's a hack but he just recycled what instead of robots dinosaurs i, w- I, I wouldn't mean, say that because he's not a hack no he's he not a re- he just recycled basically the story i wouldn't even you know? call it that i would say the seeds were planted for jurassic park 20 years before it was released that's what i mean so i think he wanted to do something like this in a novel but couldn't do the scope of what he wanted in like jurassic park mm-hmm. not at the time no because if he did something like this in the 70s it would all be you know go motion clay and cheap sets and cheap deaths so yeah yeah we wouldn't we wouldn't get the same feel glad he waited the westworld was shopped around pretty extensively in hollywood after the script script was written um and from what i read pretty much every movie studio passed on making it yeah until it came to mgm which 
Thank you, MGM, for well, taking a chance. MGM was didn't exactly have the best reputation among directors in Hollywood at the time, because they were notorious for last-minute script demands, taking oh. final cutaway from filmmakers. Oh, great. Sounds kind of like Disney. Yeah, they also had terrible post-production and unreasonable schedule demands. Wow. And it seems like, from what I found, Westworld was mostly spared this treatment, but... MGM did demand script changes up until the first day of shooting. Oh, that's crazy. Um, and the leads were not even cast until two days prior to the start of production. How crazy would that be? And here's the kicker. Crichton had no control over who was even cast in the film. Oh, that's... What? That does See, that doesn't make sense to me as a director. You're making this movie. It's your vision. Wouldn't you want people that you know... Well, back then, studios had all the power. This was before the days of auteur directors mm. like Scorsese, uh, George true. Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Francis Ford Coppola. That's true. So the studios were very much in power and controlled the films up until those directors came along and changed the game with the films they were making. Mm -hmm. So studios could get away with this and did for a very long time. So for the time, this was not shocking. And, you know, I think despite them casting everyone i think the roles were performed very well and despite it being relatively a no-name cast i think they did a hell of a job from what i read it seemed it seemed like all the actors enjoyed working on the yeah. production um yul brenner just based his character off of his character in the magnificent seven it yeah. was paid a boat ton a ton of money to yeah. to play the basically the same character as a robot which was awesome and say like five lines just like yeah. Matt Damon in the most recent Jason Bourne film pretty much <laughs> how great of a paycheck is that just walk stoically just just follow him around and the amazing part of the production the movie was shot in 30 days oh rock on isn't that awesome yeah. super efficient so they got like two takes and it was like all right we're good we're good <laughs> They did the Mike Dicka two takes. I only say that because they interviewed him when he did Kicking and Screaming, and he says he's a two-take guy. No, oh, that's um, that's it. Well, uh, some of the Star Trek Next Generation films were directed by Jonathan Frakes. Oh, oh. and uh, he developed a reputation as be he developed the name Two Takes Frakes. No way. You can see it as, seriously. It's um, the most probably one of the better ones is Star Trek uh, First Contact. Okay, one he directed. And it's a tight film. Every every scene was shot in like two takes and thought it was perfect. Like, done, two takes, we're good. Boom. <laughs> there is something, though, to be said for that. Because uh, the actor Anthony Hopkins, who's actually in Westworld, the TV series, uh, he's a one-take guy, two-take maximum. He will only do, he'll only stand there for two. But if it's Anthony Hopkins, he's probably going to crush that one take. Well, that's just what they say. He shows up and that's it. He doesn't rehearse. He just says his lines. Because I guess for when he did Hannibal, Julian Moore, she needed like 50 takes every single scene. And Hopkins is like, nope, we're using a stand-in. So that's something to be said, whether there's a lot or a little of takes, you know. And this film executed perfectly. So, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I thought it was great. <laughs> so let's discuss the movie, shall we? Let's do it. So first thing I want to get to is I was blown away for how good the special effects were mm -hmm. at the time this film was made. Yeah, it didn't seem too dated, I would say. And the, what they utilized to show the robots, for instance, the contact lenses, were awesome choices, director, like perfect choices. Oh yeah, the, the choice the of making Yul Brenner's eyes have this glowing effect, 
even in the bright sun so cool was that was a great effect the only the only effect that really kind of took me out of the picture at the time was when yul brenner was on fire yeah i mean it's clearly a dude in a suit yeah. but in the 70s he was on fire for a long time oh yeah and this was like i said in the 70s you could only have a guy on fire for maybe seven eight seconds before you had to run in and put him out yes there's actually there's some more stupid facts you know pink floyd the band sure wish you were here <laughs> album cover has a guy that's on fire they had to do like 30 different pictures and it took all day so i had to just keep relighting this guy on fire for like all right we got eight seconds light him on fire oh and then i hope he got was, hazard pay for all of that he did but it was super windy so <laughs> it was just horrible there's just my little tidbit look it up on wikipedia well yeah. there's the open circuitry on the robot's bodies throughout the entire film that, that was, was awesome really cool the face when brenner's face comes off the robot and you see the inside working mechanisms that was so cool well then there was a the smoking effect on uh, mm-hmm. the gunslinger's face after there's acid thrown into it i yes. thought that was great it was so cool and it showed his face i don't know if you saw it. when he's bending over the table you see pieces of his skin just melting off yeah it was so awesome I was like, what? This is 73? This is awesome. Facts. Well, then also when the gunslinger is searching for Peter, those were actually the first 2D computer images in any film. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Because it kind of looks like, um, what, what would you say? It's like looking through. It's like a pixelated Terminator view. Yeah. Yeah, like if you were an insect, how they do the insect views where it's just like a bunch of little TV yeah. screens. <laughs> it's super blurry. so cool. It made me wonder how he was able to find him. I read that those effects were originally going to cost $200,000 and take nine months to complete. What? Well, he found him on the cheap, Crichton did, and uh, the, and the effects we got. Granted, it is 1973, so not going to be anything too great, but for the time, this, these were things that people had never seen before in a movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, and special effects were just becoming a, a prominent part in any filmmaking. Yeah. It, it was just coming about, and ugh, they hold up the test of time. The only thing that I know you said stood out a little bit as well was the hands, the fuggly hands <laughs> <laughs> that, that they said were uh, the only way to tell them apart, the robots, from the humans. You know, I was uh, saving this for later, but the, the <laughs> hands are actually my lens flare. That's your lens flare? Of the film. <laughs> because you mean to tell me that these scientists... They're able to build these incredibly complex and advanced robots that are able to have dialogue with human guests and interact and be shot and killed. And you mean to tell me that the hands are what trip you up in the building process? You cannot get the hands right, (laughs) but you can get everything else right? Maybe. I don't know. How does that make sense? You ever had to draw hands, Chris? It's, no, it's but really we're not talking of, hard. We're not talking about drawing hands on paper. We're talking about molding hands. Yeah. Well, maybe it's the same thing. Man. How? I don't know. Have you ever seen claymation hands? Tell me, college boy. How is it the same? <laughs> because it's not the same at all. I'm just I'm dying on this hill. It's it was his uh, nod to the artists out there. Sure. No, I I just think <laughs> I don't know why he chose the hands. To be honest, it was really tacky. That's a good uh, lens flare. Mine was the awful music, the Western music that was overdubbed when they arrived. Mm-hmm. It was just this loud, annoying banjo. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, oh, please stop. Stop. Just 
couple notches down, please. Well, that is something that they also avoided in the show a little bit, is doing that twangy, western, stereotypical, tropey music. I guess, but they switched it for Rolling Stones covers and Black Hole Sun. So I was like, okay. Well, this is a good point, too, to discuss some similarities and differences between the show and the film. Sure. Because the, they do, the show does retain a lot of imagery and things from the film that I was surprised to uh, learn. And uh, normally we don't provide a spoiler alert, but we might be discussing some spoilers here for at least the first season of Westworld. Mm-hmm. Though if you haven't watched it, please pause here and go watch it. <laughs> <laughs> or skip to the end. <laughs> Maybe like skip 10 minutes. So yeah, I mean, the first season of the show does focus on two friends who go on misadventures through the park, like Peter and John do in the film. Mm -hmm. And the rebuilding of the robots is similar with the setting of the tables and dissecting them. That's Mm -hmm. that imagery stays the the same from the the film to the show. And that's really cool that they have basically doctors that are working on the robots. I really like that scene. Those scenes, how the head guy wears the lab coat. It's like, (laughs) ha ha, sweet. And then James Marsden's character on the show is continually killed. Yeah. And it almost appears the same will be true for Brenner's character until he gets that um, the infrared hunting eyes upgrade. Mm-hmm. Which I, I'm curious to find to see like if Brenner is to serve as like this quick interaction for the guests to kill him. Yeah. How many times has he previously been killed? Right. What is his kill count? That's a, that's a good question. I yeah. don't know. Maybe. There, there are parallels, except uh, James Marsden. 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 He's the much nicer gunslinger. Yeah. He's not mean. Yeah, and he's like, more of like a play on like if Gary Cooper yeah. were in a Western, like the strong, silent type, man with no name, mysterious yeah. background. Clint Eastwood, baby. <laughs> but because the gunslinger, when we met him, what did he, did he call him a, uh, a, uh, a, a woman's hoo-ha <laughs> when they were at the bar <laughs> because, yeah, they were drinking. Oh, yeah. Better watch your friend. Yeah, because yeah, because they were drinking whiskey. And so I actually like this. Should get him a bib. Yes, because so what this film does perfectly uh, um, is it portrays how a regular average Joe would interact in this environment because everything is Western, 1800s. There's no AC. All they have is whiskey. And so he, one guy orders a whiskey. His friend says, I'll have a uh, martini, vodka martini shaken uh, with a couple blue cheese olives. And the bartender looks at him like, what the hell? So then he gets him a whiskey. He tries to drink it and spits it out because his, uh, little, uh, his little throat can't handle it. <laughs> but that was perfect. In the film, there's no gradual buildup to the robot revolution. No. Like there, it, with the exception of a quick meeting of the scientists to discuss this virus that's spreading yeah uh, i guess i didn't get the feeling that this was slowly falling this was so slowly building up to the um the robots deciding to kill everybody well i knew they mentioned it and so i was just waiting while watching it okay when's this virus gonna take its toll they were mentioning like off screen they'd pan to the lab and they'd say oh we need this more power here blah 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 blah. but you didn't really see anything until the gunsling the snake actually bites yeah and uh Brolin, and then he says, that's not supposed to happen. Well, those were really the only two indicators throughout the film that something was maybe starting to go wrong. Mm -hmm. And then, well, then there was also the scene in the chambermaid in Medieval World where she slaps him Mm -hmm. as she's, you know, rebuffing his advances. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I don't, but I didn't take that as like, hit. you know, that's a pretty big leap to go from rebuffing someone sexually and then stabbing them in the chest. Well, yeah. <laughs> they definitely have, they go from like two to ten yeah. in a blink of an eye. Well, and then in the show, the problems begin to accumulate over the course of the season, and then yes. it all hits the fan in the last episode pretty <laughs> horribly. Now, I haven't seen all of the episodes, so I can't yeah. say, comment on that. Well, the, also, too, the gunslinger from the movie and the man in black uh, from the show are very similar, both mm-hmm. in their dress and uh, yes. in their act. Uh, and, yeah. and Ed Harris is incredible Ed on Harris the show. He makes that first season worth watching, in my opinion. He's really good. I like, He just does not care. <laughs> Hello, Dolores. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say we get reacquainted. <laughs> and none of the robots terrible. in the film are given a name except for a handful of them, whereas in the show, the robots are the main characters. They are. So a lot. So right away, it seems like a lot of aspects from the film are amplified in the show or they're given more time to develop and grow. They just reverse the storyline because mm-hmm. in the movie, it's just about the humans interacting and the thing going haywire. So I get why they wouldn't do the TV series about just the, guy, the humans. Because wouldn't you say that this film is pretty much a critique a critique on technology and humans like we well, all yeah, destroy it absolutely is, especially everything. during the final chase scene between Peter mm-hmm. and the gunslinger. Peter is he's outmatched when he's in the gunslinger's element in nature. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets into the underground laboratory section of the park, mm-hmm. he's able to overpower the gunslinger. Yes. And he's able to defeat him by setting him on fire. So he's there's all these shots of him running away, mm-hmm. and he still, the gunslinger still catches up to him. He I mean, still he, does, despite that lumbering pace he has. Dude, that program, whatever that update was, was just super soldier, baby. Mm-hmm. He made him the best. Well, the scope, and also too in the in the show, the scope of Westworld is is expanded compared to what we see in the film. Yeah. But there's no mention of the other parks until later seasons of the show. Mm-hmm. And right away in the film, we see medieval world. We see Roman world. I mean, there's probably other worlds, but we just we don't get them in this film. Mm-hmm. And in the show, I felt like there was a more of an intentional focus on narrative for the guests to participate, but... Many of the elements seem to remain from the film. Like there's almost, there's like these side quests mm-hmm. that guests can do. There's bounty hunting, there's treasure seeking, or you can just load up your guns and execute murder and mayhem. Yeah, <laughs> which a lot of the main characters do. <laughs> they just, one becomes the sheriff, they just blow up a jail cell. But Westworld on HBO, I mean, it almost seems like a video game. Because you wind they, the the guests wind up in the town Sweetwater, mm-hmm. and then they interact with these NPCs who introduce side quests and and missions, mm-hmm. and even Easter eggs are frequently mentioned throughout the show. So a lot of it takes video game elements into it, which you know, 1973. I think the only video game might have been Pong. So yeah, <laughs> if there that wasn't... <laughs> was even out, yeah, right. Pinball. I mean, so I don't blame them for not having that. It was very freewheeling and dealing. Yeah. Yeah. Though I think we'll leave the discussion of the Westworld series here for now. Sean, you had some philosophical questions you wanted to bring up about Westworld. So go ahead and fire away. Sure. So speaking of just showing up and being a millionaire, basically, what was it, a thousand bucks a day? Thousand bucks a day, which is about $5,600 in today's money. Yes, which is pretty good. And $40,000 on the television show. <laughs> so for TV shows, it's pretty much you have to be making millions of dollars. 
Whereas the movie, you could make like 10 grand a month and be able to, you know, go for a weekend. But I think my philosophical question would be, if you went to Westworld, what would you do at Westworld? Because we see endlessly in the series and the show, basically people go there to rape, have sex, cheat on their spouses, and like just belligerently murder and steal. It's all vice. There's really no one there that just, you know, goes to enjoy the summertime, <laughs> you know, in the 1800s. Well, I think you... It- Ford has this quote from one of the episodes in the show, and I and I know you find this quote cliche, but he <laughs> mentions that people don't go to Westworld to find out who they are. They go there because of who they currently are. Mm-hmm. They're not going there for some profound change. They're going there because of what they want to do. Okay. Um, so would you say in uh, like video games, Red Dead Redemption, mm-hmm. how some people you can basically murder whoever? Yeah, it's Red Dead same. Redemption 2 is specifically is built on the idea of um, an honor system. Like you do dishonorable things, you shoot innocents, you rob stores, it lowers your honor. Mm-hmm. You do honorable things like turning in bounties alive and helping out NPCs and quests that boosts your honor. Okay. So you, you have a direct choice in who your character is in the game. And mm-hmm. it's very much the same in going to Westworld. Yeah. If you want to be a good and virtuous person, if you want to rescue homesteads or collect bounties you could certainly do that mm-hmm. or if you just want to ride in a town with a repeating yeah. rifle and kill everybody well you can <laughs> certainly do that too yeah <laughs> i think i think one just speaks more about you than the other one would <laughs> so would you go to westworld if you could afford it if i could afford it i would go maybe for a day or two a day or two but something like this it's hyper realistic yeah definitely plays jump rope with that line of what is real and what Dude. is not and i think th- there's only a certain amount of time you can be doing all those things before it starts to mess with you. Right? That's what I that's what I was thinking in like the TV series. I'm four episodes in, Ed Harris's character keeps coming back. God, that's gotta be nuts once it blurs the lines of reality. How fascinating. Yeah. I wonder <laughs> that would be a movie I'd like to see. The people coming back from Westworld. Almost like a sequel. Because we kind of, we caught that a little bit at the beginning of the film when the reporter, it opens up with the reporter basically just interviewing people that come out of Westworld. How was it? What did you do? Blah, 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 blah. And the people seemed at awe. Well, everyone also had their various reasons for going there and returning. And Mm -hmm. that would be the case if something like this existed today. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody even has their own reasons for wanting to go to Disney World. Yeah. I was just going to say, people go to Disney World to escape. So I could see why they would. So you would go. Yeah, I think I I would go. I would just go for like a you know a day or two. Get the experience. Yeah, maybe you know go f- track down a few bounties or go go on a treasure seeking mission. Would you murder anyone? I don't think I would. I no? don't think I'd be comfortable with it. No, you. So you would act a very honorable person. You wouldn't. Uh, no. I'd like to think so. Yeah. You wouldn't go to the saloon. If and... push came to shove, yeah, I'm. You know, would probably shoot Yul Brenner. But <laughs> right. But again, the I won't. Wouldn't draw. know until I was actually there, and you know, mm-hmm. you know, it was time to draw. Well, they were saying in the film, uh, a couple of people. The reason why they act the way they do is because they can't get hurt. Because in Westworld, the film, the bullets just bounce. The guns don't even activate. Yeah. When they shoot at them, so it kind of takes away. The danger element. It's kind of like playing NBA, like 2K12 or whatever, and having the stats all the way up. So you just make endless threes. <laughs> you are in control. 
I could see that being fun for Which we all have done that at some point. Abs- oh, all the time. You're losing the game. We've all no. lowered the defense's ability on Madden so we could throw 94-yard yes. bombs every single time. I, You know, I think I would get bored after a couple of days if I could do anything. So I, I'd go th- two or three days, yeah. too. That'd be fun. I, I don't know if I'd murder someone. Depends on how real they are. Now, if we're talking like carnival, like pop-ups, why not, man? Well, let's assume for argument's sake that these are the lifelike real threatening robots that we see in Westworld. You couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if I was attacked or there was like a robbery or something, maybe. That'd be crazy, man. (laughs) Although watching this movie got me curious as to what amusement parks could look like in the future. Yeah. So I actually found a pretty interesting article from Mental Floss from uh, 2015. It had a few predictions on what to expect. Okay. So a lot of theme parks nowadays are tailoring more towards like like the quickness of it. Though a lot of theme parks now are implementing passes that grant priority access to lines for an additional cost, as well as developing acts that apps, excuse me, that allow for guests to check in or book a spot in line for a ride. Book a spot in line? Yeah. How does it So you like you you it's like you reserve your spot in line with the app and that guarantees you a spot on like say like the 10 o'clock ride at Test Track at Epcot. What? So you could just book and then show up? Well, I would assume that you would have to have like a valid ticket for the, the entry park. Like you can't be in Animal Kingdom yeah. and then say like, oh, I want to book a ride on Test Track. Like, well, it doesn't work like that. You're in this park It's kind now. of bogus. Like, you that's can't like, do that. That's like pay to play games well, that you would download on your iP- iPad. I wasn't able to find any recent, like any current examples of theme parks doing that right now. Well, like. Fast passes. Yeah, I, I guess. think fast passes are now becoming a thing. Disney's doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like you yeah. have to pay an extra forty, fifty dollars a day, <laughs> but you get priority access in those lines. Yeah, but Chris, waiting in those lines—that's where you really develop those relationship. You know, go to Disney yeah. World and let me know if that happens. I've I've done. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dude, I once waited four hours at the Harry Potter in Universal, and my dad he would just like start high fiving people. It was crazy, man. Yeah. This is the most nuts experience I've ever had. We we like had a chain going. We we're just high fiving these random strangers. It was amazing. Well, also another prediction is everything, and I mean everything, will be more interactive. And this is something oh, that yeah. we're already seeing with amusement parks. Like you mentioned Harry Potter World at Universal Studios is mm-hmm. is like that now. Uh, Star Wars Galaxy Edge, the new park at Disney World, and also Disney is planning to build a park based on their Marvel properties. It's nuts. Yeah, so, I mean, they're going to be more interactive and more immersive than they have been in the past. It's no longer going to be show just show up, ride a few rides. rides, get a souvenir, and you're on your way. Yeah. Also, well, we they see, want you to stay. Well, we see that, too, in meet and greets at a lot of the Disney parks. Like, you have unique experiences tailored around a Disney character, mm-hmm. or have- you Breakfast with the chipmunks or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. do something like that that encourages guest engagement. For a, a lovely price. <laughs> Want to see Captain America for $500? You get to see this actor portray Chris Evans. Jesus. Well, we're also, rides and theme parks are going to get darker. What? Like, Not like the lighting. Before you even thought of that, <laughs> no, we're gonna see everything's black. You just walk in, poof. No, we're Whoa, gonna see Tim Burton is 
a freaking. We're gonna see Disney. Halloween theme parks. We're gonna see rides that are getting like more on the horror side. Like oh, U- Universal does this with their Halloween nights. Yeah, so does uh, Six Flags. Yeah, Six Flags yeah. Great America transforms into Fright Fest every fall season. Uh, also, Disney's uh, Halloween Mansion ride is an early precursor of this trend. Wow. So Disney likes to get in on those uh, uh, trends early and often. It looks like <laughs> you could ride the Dark Knight during a Dark Knight. i'm not going to even touch that one (laughs) oh bam pun man that's what Uh, i'm talking about another trend we could be seeing is uh uh, theme parks will be going greener so they're going to be focusing on uh, less energy consumption and reducing waste uh that's dope i think you're going to see that more with water parks because they're the ones who use the most energy and they're disgusting (laughs) <laughs> they're, yeah, they're gross. I, don't, I, I hate going to water I mean, parks. I mean, no offense if you guys like water parks out there. I just, I, I get an ear infection every time, and you know what? I'm good. No matter how clean someone says that pool is, I always find a Band-Aid in it. Exactly. It grosses me out. There's not enough chlorine you can dump into that water that will make me get in there. I'm just, I'm sorry, man. I, I feel like can't. they need to do inspections on people's bodies and say, like, yes. listen, if there's a Band-Aid on you, you're not going in there. Exactly. I shouldn't have to take antibiotics just to go to a water park, man. Don't <laughs> at me because y'all know I'm right. <laughs> it is gross every time you see a Band-Aid in Charlie, there. Charlie, did you take your vitamin D pills today? We're going to the slide. It's like, no. No, 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 no. Like, I want to go to the water park. Great. Let me go get my tetanus booster. <laughs> yeah, right. How did you get leukemia? Well, I went down the silver bullet. It's a funny story, actually. <laughs> it involved a water park. <laughs> no offense. Well, the final trend we could be seeing for amusement parks is the food will be held to a higher standard. And it won't be just these themed cafes where you can go get, like, a themed and hot a dog or something. Price. <laughs> Well, yeah, Probably, yeah, but you get what you pay for. And I That's think we're true. seeing this now with uh, like uh, sporting events, like baseball stadiums. Like you have unique food items that are available okay. at each um, at each stadium. Okay, because I've seen the hot dogs and they're still like $8. <laughs> Is it just going to be green hot dogs? Well, you're going to see unique food items. Like you'll see like a foot-long hot dog that has unique toppings to it. Or <laughs> you have like an ultra churro. Or you see like, oh. these loaded nachos. So you'll have food items that are unique to like each baseball stadium or okay. certain food items that gotcha. you can only, like an item that you can get at Soldier Field that you can't get at Lambeau Field, something like that. Gotcha. Get this Chicago Cubs waffle in the shape of a C. Which Ooh. I do have to point this out. So Mercedes-Benz <laughs> Stadium where the Atlanta Falcons play, yeah. they have Chick-fil-A stands all over the place. Okay. But because they play on Sundays most of the time, those stands aren't open. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that seems what? a bit short-sighted on the part of the Atlanta Falcons. How stupid is that? <laughs> so maybe if you're craving Chick-fil-A at a Falcons game, just wait until around Monday Night Football and you can actually get it. <laughs> maybe they give out the um, the coupons to all Chick-fil-A. So it's like all of their games. If we score a touchdown in the fourth quarter, you get a free sandwich. Maybe. Do you like Chick-fil-A? Oh, love Chick-fil-A. You love Chick-fil-A? I wish you that they would have a chicken and waffles breakfast item. Because <laughs> I would be there for breakfast Monday through Saturday, because they're not open Sundays, <laughs> and be eating that thing. Chicken and waffle. Go to Waffle House, man. There isn't a Waffle House that, around here. That is Where true. am I going to get it? I wish there was a Waffle House. All right, so you'd go to Westworld. You'd rock it out. There's changes. So I do want to discuss, too... With the current technology for robotics in place mm-hmm. and the slow pace we're seeing in that growth, yeah. 
Could we get a Westworld in the future? I think so. It's not going to be in our life. Well, well, what's, well, well what might. are going to be the holdups? What's going to prevent us from getting to it sooner rather than later? The technology, man. Being able to create robots that can potentially reach consciousness and be able to improvise as well as know the scripts. Because we've seen that at Disney, you know, the robots that have their narrative and you can say something and they can kind of riff. But to be able to walk, move um, just efficiently and not seem like a robot, that would just take too much resources maybe in the next 25 years 30 years i could see it well if you're but on a, such a level do you know how much money that would cost yeah if you are going to create nuts. robots like this too you have to think about upgrading the software totally. sooner rather than later oh yeah and just think about how i mean it would create jobs because oh yeah think about Not saying it would it i'm dude. saying like it's going to create major complications because you have to think about doing software patches mm-hmm. and upgrades on an exponential rate than you would say if you were running an office full of computers. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting. Who would clean up the dirty sheets at the hotel? <laughs> would we have like robot busser Billy come in there? Well, I do or think we- it's interesting too that the guests are under no obligation whatsoever to treat the robots with care. No. I mean, they don't explicitly say you can do whatever you want, but they don't make them sign any oh, type they- of like good conduct like waiver or something because no they rape the crap out of them yeah (laughs) (laughs) literally it's just disgusting well yeah i mean mean. for most theme parks like if you act a fool or whatever security is going to get you and throw you out but there's but that doesn't happen in westworld no i think though it would they would have to have some type of security there would be some type of contract that you have to sign no defacing property x y and z or you'd be held to repay something. Or you have to sign there, some type of waiver that doesn't hold Delos responsible Absolutely. for any type of injuries you may sustain. <laughs> totally. Well, you exactly. That's just it. If you die, it's up, you know, it's your fault. It's like doing a savage race or something. Well, speaking of dying, did you have a red shirt, Sean? My red shirt, I think we agreed. Well, I didn't initially, but um, you brought up the knight. Uh, the, the guy who's hanging out in Medieval World mm-hmm. in the movie... He's thinking he's just having, you know, regular old time in medieval world. He's clearly been here before. Yeah. You know, he just wants to hang out. Eyeballing the queen. Yeah. Yeah. Hang out with the queen and bed her and then bed a couple of chambermaids. And then he has a joust with the Black Knight in the morning that he's sure going to win. And then he's all up and he's ready for combat and fights the Black Knight in this in the dining hall. Yeah. And this is when... It all hits the fan, yep. and this poor tourist is killed by the Black Knight. Just gets stabbed, man, with the lance. Bam! Or the sword, right through the belly. He was just expecting like a normal trip to Westworld. He didn't expect to die. To die, get brutally In a brutal way. By a robot. And he's left there, too, on the table. Like, yeah. like, Peter finds him, and he still has a sword sticking out of his belly. I do have to say, I love that scene. Number one, because the actor was kind of fat. <laughs> so it was definitely harkened back to the days of when actors weren't all supermodels jacked doing crazy stuff. Well, it's clearly Crichton's commentary on wealth as well. Yes. Because, oh, that all the wealthy people yeah, are Yeah, because he fat. was, well, he that guy who was killed by the Black Knight, he was a fat guy. He was. So like how you knew, how you could always tell the rich people, they like lied. way back in the day, they were fat because they could afford food. That's right. So it's. it's and, and he hung in there though for a while. Yeah, he held his own, but then nope. Yeah, nope. <laughs> Goodbye. Once once the program started to adapt more and more and become more vicious and vile, then he went down. I did like how 
he tried to bed the chambermaids and the and the scientists were like oh she rebuffed his advances his his seduction i'm like what seduction he just grabs her it's like you're coming with me it's she like goes, no this is seduction like no he's barely not- even trying no exactly he's just grabbing so that's terrible he makes more effort taking out the trash than he does <laughs> trying to bed this woman totally it's terrible that's seduct i laughed out loud for that Ugh, terrible it made me it, i think that's he had a good commentary the director on people yeah just people in general like how would they behave if there Disgusting. there was no oversight no because there, there isn't any oversight to their behavior here no if you could do anything well also at the same time too there's nothing really holding the scientists in check too no because no. they all kind of write off the problems of the park is like oh well there it's a non-issue yeah we, we don't have to deal with this all that they just, oh, just kick it up. Kick it up to the next level. Eh, whatever. Don't worry about it. Don't, it's No, no, no. If you can identify a concerning trend, odds are it's going to wind up being a major problem down the road. That's also just like a movie trope for everything. Whatever, you know, the constant, up. Oh, there's something wrong. Ah, whatever. Because they do Yeah, rebel, rebel, rebel. Yeah, yeah, right? It's like, no, no, no. In real life, that would not happen. The leaky ship. Eh, whatever. Even, whatever. You'll let it sink. <laughs> Got insurance. <laughs> Uh, so what else? We didn't have any uh, toxic fandom on this, right? No, I couldn't find anything that people had like a real big um, issue with. The only thing that I did find was uh, that could be toxic fandom was that there were many scenes that were cut from the film oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. were included in later television airings. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, which almost reeks of Blade Runner to me and all the different cuts we get of that. Yes. So yes. in the in television airings of Westworld, there's more exterior shots of the opening hovercraft scene. Ooh. It's flying to Delos. I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, because like it didn't look like they could pull off those shots no. effectively back then. Um, there's also scenes uh, with the scientists that would provide more insight as to how this virus was spreading. That could be interesting. I feel like we could have used more of those scenes in the film in general. Instead of just quick cuts to them panicking. Yeah. And I'm not questioning the length of the the theatrical cut i think it's an no. hour and a half is very tight and good for a movie like this but mm-hmm. again there's no real impending sense of doom with this virus mm-hmm. um it there's also sweeps a, in yeah there's also a scene of technicians talking about the workload involved with the other robot worlds Ooh, that would be interesting yeah because all we get is primarily westworld and we see the scientists like ordering food and eating at their desks yeah so you kind of get the sense that they live literally in Westworld. That's their home. That's their job. That's at their job. So it would have been nice to have that fleshed out a little bit. Yeah. There's also a longer discussion between Peter and the sheriff following his second shootout with the gunslinger when he's jailed. Although I still don't understand why he's jailed. Yeah. Because he burst into his friend's room going to shoot him. Yeah. And then he defends his friend and he's in jail for it. I know, I didn't get that either. Yeah, and if he's and if he's paying to be in Westworld, why is he being jailed? I feel yeah. like all the humans are just not getting jailed and it's the robots who would be jailed. Right. <laughs> exactly. Cause he just blew him away at the yeah. bar. And he didn't get jailed for blowing him away at the bar. Yeah. One of the more violent scenes that was cut was a scene in Medieval World that shows a guest being tortured Ooh. on a rack after the robots have revolted. So, yeah, maybe a bit too violent to leave in a theatrical cut. Yeah, to keep that PG rating. Well, also, I was surprised to learn that the chase between Peter and the gunslinger was also extended to go through even more of Roman world and Medieval world. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, I thought that chase was pretty tight it already. Was. 
Yeah, it was pretty... It Because basically, the last third of the film is the chase. So to have it go longer, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the chase just because of like the artsy portion of it. You know, the robot catching up and the music in the building. I'm like, ooh, I get the filmmaker's choice. Ooh, nice, nice. Artistic director. But yeah, anything longer, it would... I don't know. Yeah, that... That could be off-putting. That final chase is... Awesome, and I think it yeah. influenced a lot of subsequent movies afterwards. It, totally, de- you you watch Westworld, and then you see where the Terminator got influenced. Absolutely. Well, that's like the cool thing for people that if you do check this film out, it's it just shows the different era of film, it's how movies were made back in the day. They were more pieces of art as opposed to just what they are now, where it almost feels like the art is absent as more of entertainment. So I like the chase. Well, speaking of that, Sean. Let's talk about the legacy of Westworld. Mm -hmm. So Westworld was considered a box office success at the time. It did gross $10 million, so it made up its budget at the time, which is what studios were wanted. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like a big deal now. No. But in 1973, this was MGM's biggest success of that year. Sweet. It even got a re-release in 1976. Oh, because didn't they make another one? They made a sequel, Future World, Future World but it wasn't as well-received as okay. Westworld, and Yul Brenner was the only returning cast member. Oh. Um, this can still continues to receive critical acclaim, so it currently holds an 86% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Hey, Rotten uh, Actually, it was Michael Crichton took a year off from filmmaking and a break from the sci-fi genre in general. Oh as his next book he wrote was a Western titled The Great Train Robbery. Hey, yeah. I mean, he would eventually go on to direct more films and write more books until um, his death in 2008. But like we mentioned earlier in the show, many of the elements that he used in Westworld would go on to influence his writing for Jurassic Park. Yes, as we've discussed. I wonder how many, because I don't know many of his uh, films that he's done. Well, he did. um, So I'd be curious. Sphere. Um... One of his posthumous releases that came out in the last year was called um, Dragon Teeth, which is about uh, the dinosaur bone wars of the late 19th century. Interesting. Yeah. So that, I wonder how many are like have this parallel of things taking over. And- well, like I said, he his science fiction tales are more of like a cautionary look. Mm-hmm. So a lot of his uh, books have the same theme to them. Do you like his uh, take they did on it? Do you think it's pretty accurate? You know, I think... Our tech, our concerns and hopes with technology evolve or, over time, mm-hmm. but taking a cautionary stance to them will never go out of style. No. It's important to always be cautious of any new technology that's developed. You have to think of like, well, what's the worst that could happen with this? Mm-hmm. If you just look at, oh, this is what it can do. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, it can bag my groceries, but can it like start throwing my groceries at yeah, me like exactly. will they be projectiles <laughs> exactly exactly you have to look at it through the lenses of how wrong could this go and if it goes wrong can we stop yeah it? 2002 it was reported that a remake starring Arnold Schwarzenegger was in development I saw that and there were directors like Tarsem Singh and Quentin Tarantino were approached to direct yeah which I feel like this is right up Tarantino's yes. alley I was just gonna say that because it's got that beautiful like gruesome deaths he would love it but he doesn't really do science fiction so i don't think he's gonna 
Well, he might do the uh, Star Trek. He's not going to do that. That's not going to happen. They're going to find a way to try <laughs> and make a sequel for Star Trek Beyond. I don't think they're going to go way Tarantino. Yeah. They're going to. They're not going to blow it up and start over with Tarantino because he wants Picard to be in it. But That'd be great. There's been no real updates on that since 2011. No, I mean, so, it's, Warner yeah. Brothers still says they want to make it, but. However, in eh. August 2013, HBO ordered a pilot for what would become mm-hmm. the show we know now, which is produced by J.J. Abrams, Jonathan Nolan, which is Christopher Nolan's brother, yeah. and Jerry Weintraub, which we've already gotten two seasons of that show, a third one set to premiere next summer. Mm-hmm. So we're, I think for now our set. hopes of a remake have been dashed for now. Yeah, it's probably not going to, unless they do like a movie based off of the HBO, which would be stupid. Yeah, if they were going to do a movie, I would want them to just do a straight remake of the mm-hmm. original film. Mm-hmm. I'd be down for that. So, Sean, are you down for giving a rating to 1973's Westworld? Oh, I'm down. So using our scale of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host viewing parties, what do you give to Westworld? I would own it. By far, I'd give it a really high regards praise. You know, I might even uh, consider donning the cowboy cap mm. and, you know, wearing the assless chaps <laughs> <laughs> for a party. Because this film, it's pretty good. It's nice and tight, smooth, great critique on culture. I love it. You know, I agree with you. This would be a wood own for me. I'd mm-hmm. happily add this to my collection. It mm. does blend two of my uh, favorite genres. Yeah. Uh, Western yeah. And, sci- and sci-fi. It's like a peanut butter and chocolate. <laughs> It features a great and menacing performance from the legendary Yul yes. Brenner. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think some of it would feel dated to mm-hmm. modern audiences. Oh, yeah. And I think people's first thoughts when they say, oh, Westworld, you mean the show? Like, Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, movie first. I think it would be good to watch the movie before you see the yeah. TV series. So then you can get some an idea because it really gives the humanistic perspective and don't get me wrong i mean the show is great as well but Mm -hmm. i think that definitely takes a much darker look than what we see in the film yeah yeah it's not just a bunch of guys getting drunk and beating up cowboys but i love the turn that the film that westworld takes Mm -hmm. where it looks like it's gonna be the sci-fi adventure romp with two friends and then the robots turn on everybody and kill everybody and it's always appreciated when a film can pull that off really well exceptional and that just ends with him hearing the voice it, it like says a line and yeah it just cuts to black with him staring wildly at the screen and it's important to recognize this film as an influencer of subsequent films in the robot genre by far like i robot terminator or two big ones and also too this came out in a time when there were a lot of great science fiction films coming out and this i Definitely think this got overshadowed oh, yeah. by them way back in Hollywood days. Oh, yeah. The 70s is just chock full of some good sci-fi classics. Yeah. So it's important to recognize what came before and why we have what we have now. Yep. How it influenced it. So I think we unpacked it. Yeah. <laughs> you want to pick our next movie? I'm down. Let's call her up, baby. So we're going to enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI, Major Samantha. Major Samantha! And from a list of 118 films, she has selected... Number 66. It is a 2014 film starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. It is Live, Die, Repeat. No way! Edge of Tomorrow. We're finally watching it! Sweet, man. 
I've only seen half of it. I'm so excited. All right. Yeah, we're getting yes. into the Tom Cruise suite. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see him run. Endless running. Yes. In a robot. So Live, Die, Repeat, a.k.a. Edge of Tomorrow, will be our film for <laughs> next time. So please watch and enjoy with us. And if you enjoyed today's show, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are all over social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So from all of us at the ForceFed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Force-Fed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.